Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. You know, it's a wonderful thing to hear the gospel preached. Unfortunately, it's something that's not so common in churches these days. People are just not hearing the clear preaching of the gospel message. The message has not changed. But just because it's old-fashioned, as some people might say, it doesn't mean that it's less relevant. In Acts chapter 4, we read one of the earliest gospel messages that was ever preached. It was by the Apostle Peter, and it was short and to the point. We need to be saved, and the only person who provides that salvation is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In today's broadcast, evangelist Mr. Dan Shutt takes up these two main points in Peter's message, our need of salvation and the remedy provided by the cross work of the Lord Jesus. As always, it's a simple message and an uncomfortable one. That is, it requires us to face up to our sin and its consequences but we trust that the truth that it contains will bring you to the cross of Christ, the only place where forgiveness of sins is found. The book of the Acts, and we're going to read in at chapter 4, and I am going to read part of a gospel message, actually the concluding words of a gospel message given by the Apostle Peter. Acts chapter 4 then, and verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. Let me just pause for a minute and say that while that sounds a little odd to the 21st century ear, we might read it like this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven. In other words, in all the wide world, none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Let me read that again for you. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. My second reading is just a little ways to the left in your Bible, in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to read in chapter 13. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, and verse number 23. And we are breaking into the story of the travels and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And verse 23 tells us, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? I want you to notice that the Lord Jesus does not hear directly answer the question, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, strive to enter in at the straight gate. In other words, don't worry about what other people are doing. And don't worry about who else is being saved. You should think about yourself. You should think about your own condition. Verse 24 
strive, labor to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door. Now, one last reading back in the book of Acts again, chapter 16. And again, this is part of a lengthy narrative about not the Apostle Peter now or the Lord Jesus, but about the Apostle Paul and his preaching partner, a man named Silas. And they had come to the city of Philippi, and as a result of preaching the gospel, they were arrested and they were thrown into prison. In the middle of the night, there was a, an enormous earthquake. Now, in those days, if prisoners escaped, the life of the jailer would have been forfeited. Had they escaped, his life would have been taken by the Roman authorities. And so here we have this scene. In the middle of the night, a great earthquake, and all the prisoners are suddenly set free. Now look down, if you will, then at verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. That's why I gave that little explanation to you. He actually thought that it might be better to take his own life than to wait for the authorities to arrest him and to take his life. But I want you to notice very carefully what follows. Verse number 28 of Acts 16. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he, that is the jailer, called for a light. And he sprang in, he ran in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Now that's all I want to read tonight. These are wonderful gospel texts, and we earnestly commend them to your attention tonight. You will notice that the word that these verses have in common is one of the most precious words in all the Bible. I, I know there are a lot of Bible words that Christians love, but I tell you, I don't know of a word that I love more than this one. It is the word saved. I think you know that there are other words in the uh, word family that surround this. There is the idea of being saved. There is the idea of this great salvation. And when it comes to the Lord Jesus, we recognize that the Bible gives him a blessed title. He is the Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Salvation is a wonderful word, and I would like everyone who is listening tonight to understand what it means to be saved. God sees us in our helpless condition. 
God sees that we are incapable of forgiving ourselves or making ourselves presentable before Him. But in the great wonder of God's love to us, when we cry for help, I tell you there's a strong and mighty hand, a hand that has been pierced by the nails of Calvary, that is ready and willing and able to save. And I want to tell you that I am so happy that God has saved my soul. I didn't save myself. God saved me. And I have been rescued from my sin and the penalty of it. I have three little things just to take two or three minutes each on that I want to talk about these verses that we have read. I want to think, first of all, about salvation's necessity. Because we read in Acts chapter 4, we must be saved. Tonight I want to tell you that God has the authority to make dogmatic statements. For younger people, that just means statements that are made with absolute assurance. We must be saved if we're going to be in heaven. See, it doesn't do for human beings to make excessively dogmatic statements. Do you know why? Well, because we're human. Uh, Because we have limited knowledge. And even when we think we have assembled all the facts that we might, in the end, we don't know everything. And apart from what God has revealed in his word, there's, there's nothing that is absolutely certain. We do not well to be dogmatic. God can be. And God is. And he says, if you want to be in heaven, you must be saved. It's not that we should be saved. It's not even that we could be saved. God says tonight, we must be saved. You know, there are lots of things in life that are optional, but this one is absolutely essential. You know, there's some places that I like to visit and some places that I would like to visit. I like to go to Chicago. My wife and I like to go down to Ann Arbor and get on the Amtrak train and go over to Chicago. Now, suppose in the middle of the winter, we decide to take a weekend and go uh, stay overnight in a hotel in Chicago. And when I arrive, I open my bag, and I discover that I have left my winter coat behind back here in Detroit. Now, that's a that's a major omission on my part. If you've never been in Chicago in the wintertime, you may not appreciate why it is called the Windy City, but Chicago is one cold place. I could just assure you of that. But you see, the problem really is just a temporary problem. It is something that can be easily remedied. I can just go over to Macy's or go over to Target or whatever place I'd like to go, and I can acquire another coat. And as long as I'm wise about it, you know, I may be a little chilled, but the problem is easily remedied. There's another place I'd like to go. I don't know if this appeals to you at all, but I would like to go to Antarctica. You say, you got to be kidding me. No, I'm I'm not joking. I I really would. But now just follow my earlier story and imagine that I arrive in Antarctica and I open my bag and I don't have a coat. I think you can see they don't have Macy's there. (laughs) Well, they don't have stores there. And the fact of the matter is, is that what is inconvenient in the one story has now become life-threatening in the second. And the only reason I'm telling you this is just simply to emphasize this point. There are some things in life that you can do without. No great loss. It can be remedied. 
But when you pass into eternity, you cannot be in heaven without eternal life. You cannot be in heaven without the forgiveness of sins. You cannot be in heaven without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Dear friend, God's message to you tonight is you must be saved. Salvation's necessity. I want to think, secondly, about a topic that I don't think gets preached on very much or at all, and that is salvation's difficulty. Because the Lord Jesus uh, said to his disciples, there are few that be saved. And oh, by the way, and I'm not trying to put words into the mouth of the Lord Jesus, but I think this is exactly the thrust of the message. There are few that be saved. And oh, by the way, if you want to be saved, then you need to get busy. You need to buckle down. You need to make this your highest priority. Strive to enter in. Now, I'm not arguing tonight that people need to work harder to be saved. That's not the point. It is an issue of priority. It is an issue of intensity. No one gets saved lackadaisically, putting God's salvation in second place. It never happens. What he is saying is this. If you're going to be saved, you're going to have to get serious. And you need to get serious right now. You know, there's some things about sin that are so dreadful. I was thinking, first of all, about the deceitfulness of sin. It fools so many people into thinking that it is not serious and that really they can indulge in it and God will somehow overlook it. Now, it's very interesting to me that there are a lot of people who tell me, oh, you know, I've always loved Jesus. When I was a younger preacher, uh, I used to be a little bit more diplomatic, I think, because when people tell me that now, I just look them in the face and say, no, you don't. What you actually love is your sin. And I have the Bible to back that up. And people are fooling themselves every day, thinking that sin is no big deal. I want to tell you that sin isn't a little thing that you can cover with a Band-Aid. Sin is deceitful. It fools those who practice it into thinking that it's no big deal when actually sin bars us from heaven and sin brings down the judgment of God upon every Christless soul. Sin is not only deceitful, but sin actually, it is a world of darkness. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says that the God of this world blinds the minds of them that believe not. You may not know this tonight, but I think that you need to hear what God has to say. You have a problem with yourself, your sin, and your love of your sins. But you have a diabolical enemy who is trying to blind your mind and to fill you with darkness and to pull you down into the depths of hell. He's been working at this for a long time. Oh, may God deliver you from the lie, the deceitfulness of sin. May God deliver you from the darkness of sin as the devil blinds your heart. Let me tell you a third thing about the destructiveness of sin. Sometimes in the wintertime, if I'm near a big hill, I like to do something. Maybe you've done this before. 
I like to make a snowball and uh, maybe make it about 12 inches in diameter and pack it down really good and then carry it over to a steep slope and watch that snowball go down the hill. It's a lot of fun, but you know what happens. It accumulates more and more snow. And as it becomes heavier, a greater mass, it begins to roll faster until finally, you know, running into a tree or a rock, it suddenly explodes. I think that that's exactly how sin works. When we're young, we are engaged in little sins that do not seem so weighty. But as we roll on through life, sin accumulates and our life accelerates until that moment when we crash into eternity, never again to have an opportunity to be saved. Listen to the words of James. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. It begins by enslaving you. It ends by destroying you. Oh, the destructiveness of sin. Dear friend, come to Christ. Be forgiven of your sins because salvation's difficulty is this. There are few that be saved. Many are deceived. Many go on in the darkness. Many end up in terrible destruction. Oh, that you might be delivered from that. Let me come to my final point, and that is the lovely words of Acts chapter 16. This dear man, the jailer, was in deep distress of soul. I don't know. I take it that likely he had heard the preaching of Paul and Silas. And in that moment of darkness and of deep despair, the words of these two faithful gospel preachers came back into his mind. And he remembered that they had been preaching about Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. And so in his extremity, he cries out, What must I do to be saved? And their words believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And in that glorious moment, he was pointed to Christ. I have told you that when sin is finished, it brings forth death. But I want to close tonight by telling you about something else that is finished. And it involves a death. It's just that it's not the sinner's death. It is the death of the Lord Jesus. I love to tell the story of the cross. I long to be able to tell it better and more clearly and more persuasively than I ever have before. But how wonderful to come to a gospel meeting, to tell people about the matchless love of God, a God who loves us in our sin. I love the hymn. Do you like this hymn? Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. I'm going to sing forever about the love of God for me. Well, I tell you that that love has been demonstrated in the most remarkable act of history and of eternity because God gave his son to die in the place of guilty sinners. I deserved death. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And I, as a sinner, deserve the wrath of God. I deserve the death that he promises. And I deserve the second death because of my rebellion and waywardness and sin. How wonderful then to point people to Calvary. I well remember the night when I first understood what the cross really means to understand that there he died for me, my sin bearer, my substitute, 
And in that glorious moment, the light beamed into my soul. My sin bearer, yes. My substitute, yes. My Savior. Oh, I tell you, it's a grand thing to be saved. It's a grand thing to be saved and to know it too and to show it too. It's a grand thing to be saved. And so tonight, we would urge you to depend on Christ and to depend on Christ alone. He is the Savior. He is the one who brings this great salvation. He is the one through whom you could say with confidence tonight, I'm saved. I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. I hope this little message will create a desire within you to receive this great salvation and to receive this great Savior. And so I'll close with these stirring words from the Apostle Peter. Salvation is found in no one else. Come to him, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. May God grant you the grace to come to Christ and be saved even tonight. Yes, the good news of the gospel carries with it the free gift of God. Christ has willingly died to pay the debt that our sin has brought. And God's gift of salvation and blessing is free to all who will receive it. Won't you take God's gift today? Only then will you be able to say what the Apostle Peter so long ago, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message, and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. <laughs>